This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for October 13th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, the high hopes of North American League of Legends come crashing down at the World Championship. We'll also be taking a look at Ultra Street Fighter 4 at the SoCal Regionals, which are the last major stop on the road to the Capcom Cup. But first, after a long season, StarCraft II's Pro League season concluded with the overpowered SK Telecom team achieving what seemed like the inevitable, a lopsided victory over Gen Air. Although, maybe I'm being a little uncharitable there, Andrew. Uh, what did you make of Gen Air showing versus SKT? Yeah, you know, like last week when we talked about this, like I was kind of with you. I wanted to see genera pull out an upset uh against the heavily favored sk telecom team uh but we talk about this all the time you know upsets in starcraft 2 are intensely unlikely events and sk telecom is the juggernaut of starcraft 2 right now they've got all the money so they've got all of the all of the talent they're really the total package in a team you know Jin Air, on the other hand has always been a team that subsided off of its two juggernauts and those are maru and sos and right now sos isn't looking as strong but his fall corresponded sort of sort of exactly with the rise of their other major player rogue uh but there's there's still a top heavy a top heavy team you know i think we saw that in the finals too like when even one of Jin Air's top players doesn't deliver a big win. There's really no other path to victory for them. Yeah, and this does feel like a final that hinged on a couple key moments, right? Right. Uh, you know, the the first one, and I think this is probably the most indelible moment for me of the of the entire final was uh, Maru's pincer attack on Dream in, in the second game. So this is TVT. Mm. And a little context setting, uh, you have Jin Air off to a really strong start on the back of Cure's Game 1 win over SK's aptly named Sorry. Uh, and uh, boy, that's really mean. I, I shouldn't have said that, but it's, it's kind of true. He, he kind of he kind of tripped uh, on the main stage. But, you know, so for a minute there, it's starting to feel like another upset is in the air. This might be another year where SK Telecom sort of show up to a final already doing their victory lap and get blown out of the water. Uh, but but Maru goes up against Dream, and it's the exact same thing we've been talking about for weeks. Uh, Maru always goes bio, and other Terrans beat him by going mech. Uh, so m my question for you, though, is was Maru doomed because of his stylistic choices? Uh, because he did he did drag that game out for a long time. And, you know, it, it even seemed like he was on the cusp of turning it a couple times. Maybe he already had turned it because, you know, if you, if you look at the lead up to the, to the decisive fight, uh, Dream was losing bases. And you really don't want to be losing positional advantage if you're a Terran going mech. Uh, so it all leads up to this pivotal moment where dream is sort of curled into a mech ball and maru has a huge pincer position on him uh and that's when maru just sort of dives in with everything and you know i i don't know i i didn't like the play it, it felt like the right position but the wrong timing and did, did maru throw that game away or was he just recognizing the inevitable 
Well, first of all, I think this was this was a, an amazing match. You know, if there's one match that you want to go back from this series and watch, it should definitely be Maru versus Dream. Um, but I, but I actually do think Maru threw that game away uh, because the thing that I think you have to recognize is that Maru is a very talented player. He's a very good player, very smart player. He wouldn't still be going bio if he wasn't familiar with how to win the match against Mac. He would he just wouldn't throw himself up against that brick wall uh, when with everything on the line. Um, it, but the thing is, is that in this game, Maru looked really incredible. Uh, and, and his sort of flub in this game may have actually been what lost Jenner the entire finals because it was just such a pivotal game. Uh, he looked so good, though. And I don't know if I've ever seen someone deal with entrenched Terran tank positions quite as well as he did in this match. He looked like the Maru that I remembered from about from like a year ago or a year and a half ago. He was incredibly fast and he would win these engagements that, you know, your StarCraft brain says that he should have mathematically lost, but somehow he wins. And I think it's possible he got overconfident because the moment he loses it's like you said he dives into this perfectly fortified position trying to put the killing blow on dream and he just ends up getting demolished it was like this lone mistake in what was otherwise a really beautiful game by maru um but that's all it takes at this level is the thing like you you can that, that that's why people play mech is because it, it absorbs mistakes just a little bit better than bio right now and and you know, that kind of mistake, that sort of really delicate game, that one mistake can turn everything, is actually what we saw in another game as well, which was, I think it was game three, Sue versus Pig Baby. Yeah, that one that one really hurt to watch. Uh, Pig Baby was in a pretty good position against Sue, uh, who was one of the greatest Zerg players in the world, uh, probably until very recently, you know, owned that title hands down. And, you know, it's coming off the, the Maru defeat, and this is not a game I think people expected to be close, but 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 suddenly Jyn Air find themselves in it uh, because Pig Baby gets off to a good start. Sue is pressuring Pig Baby, uh, but Pig Baby's holding it at the wall off. Uh, so most so the, the Zerg are not able to sort of get into his base. And uh, meanwhile, Pig Baby has a warp prism out on the map and a bunch of sentries. And so this should be easy, right? He, he can just bring that prism into Sue's base, which doesn't have any units in it because the entire army is out applying pressure across the map. And then Pig Baby could just use that warp prism to feed in more Protoss units while those sentries keep that Zerg army locked out with force fields. And, uh, you know, the only thing and this isn't a hard thing, really. It, it, it's a kind of a kind of a basic level Protoss skill. Uh, is that Pig Baby just needs to make sure that there's always a force field on that ramp. Yeah, I, I have no idea what happened there. Like this is just you, you see this constantly in StarCraft. Is it, it's that it's this this perfect attack. You, know, you bring a warp prism into the main, you block it off, and you, you're able to take out all of, the, all, of the, all of the tech buildings. And Pig Baby just flubbed it. There's really no other way to say it. Yeah, he had three sentries down. You'd think one of them would have gotten the second force field off, but uh, <laughs> instead the entire Zerg army just comes streaming up that ramp, and at that point the attack is over. And, uh, it, you know, that's, that's pretty much the game. And I don't know if he kept that force field... Uh, that ramp uh, force fielded. I don't know if Pig Baby wins that, right? Because usually that sort of attack ends up, like you said, it knocks out a tech building, it resets some of the progress for the Zerg, but it's not necessarily a, a killing blow. Uh, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure Pig Baby had the economy to turn it into a killing blow, even if he did control that ramp for a long time. Uh, but you know, for me, that's that's when I felt like the series was was going to be lost uh, because you know we talked about Buell. 
the other week, and I, I said, you know, you can't drop close or or one games uh, against a player as good as Innovation, and, and Jin Air did the same thing here, I think. I feel like Pig Baby probably had an even better chance at delivering crippling damage to Sue. Uh, you know, it could, it could have left him with better odds than, than Maru faced uh, during, during his game against Dream, but... You know, Pig Baby just misses that force field, and you're not coming back from from those kinds of mistakes. You know, at that point, SKT had Innovation, Dark, and Classic still on deck. And Dark ended up dropping his map, but Jenner had lost their best chances to, to steal games. And, you know, there was just... You know, it was always going to be an uphill battle, because if you look at the players SKT can field, like you said at the beginning, uh, beating any of them is going to be difficult. Uh, but when when you give up two games like that that were that were that were sort of winnable, uh, you know, and, and one of them is is from Jenner's star player, it's you know a difficult task becomes impossible. Right, right. It's really it, to me, it's just it's all about paths to victory, you know, and and you just you just lose so many options, you know, especially like maybe if you go to the ace match, you can bring out one of your one of your star players again. Uh, but if you if you lose the wrong match along the way, if Maru doesn't perform uh, if sos doesn't perform there's just there's just no other there's no like your your possible realities in which you win the tournament really just they just dwindle so quickly uh so it was a bit of housekeeping there was also an announcement uh that pro league will continue next year and the casper rep- representative at uh the event promised that it would be even bigger and better uh and i don't know if there was really suspense over pro league's fate or not uh there's always suspense over starcraft 2's fate in general so i guess <laughs> you know hearing that there's going to be more of it is always reassuring uh but i'm very happy to hear that kespa and uh, spo tv sound like they are committed to it because pro league is just so much fun to follow and i think it pays dividends in terms terms of overall like player skill and quality across the rest of the Korean scene. Uh, plus, Spo TV might have the best English language casting team in the business right now, uh, even if the production around them doesn't always show them in the best light. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that um, there you wasn't really sure if there was suspense over Pro League's fate, but I actually wonder if behind the scenes maybe there was, because I know that earlier this season uh, they made a change to they no longer displayed the game clock on StarCraft matches, and and I think the the uh, the impl- implication was that there was gambling going on behind the scenes and that people who were gambling would place bets uh, at certain times and that maybe once in a while someone would throw a match. And I think maybe it could, there could have been a case where behind the scenes people were worried that because of this there, there was a problem with Pro League going forward. But, you know, I'm really happy that there that it isn't. I'm glad that Pro League is going to come back. If you really like StarCraft, Pro League is the more obscure of the leagues, but in a lot of ways, it's way more fulfilling to watch than the individual competitions that get more exposure uh, because you get to see the upstart recruits when they're still being groomed for greatness and you get to watch them occasionally have to play against the titans of the game. It's really, really interesting. Uh, But that'll do it for our StarCraft Pro League discussion. Now it's time to talk about a truly fascinating weekend in the League of Legends World Championship Series group stage. And to help us talk about this weekend in League of Legends, we're joined now by Taylor Cock, a League of Legends writer for IGN's upcoming esports talk show, Esports Weekly. Taylor, there's so much to talk about, but I think we have to address the elephant in the room. What happened with Cloud9? Because they came into the weekend as surprise group leaders, uh, having swept their group in the opening stage of this tournament. But this weekend was just a disaster for them as they went 0-4 and were eventually eliminated. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like the North American teams sort of 
or I when I and let me make this clear when I'm talking about North American teams, I'm talking specifically about Cloud9 and COG because let's be frank, TSM didn't show up. Um but <laughs> when there's, there's a surprising world storyline for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh but they both showed up with similar playstyles. This the this really fast push, you know, focused on Tristana or Jinx, uh, and then Azira in the mid lane. They basically what they wanted to do was take a buttload of early turrets and just snowball the game from there uh, and that worked for a week uh teams sort of weren't prepared for this this was a a very north american strategy that most teams uh did at, you know in in their specific region but in the second week teams really figured that out they started playing more skirmish strats started forcing fights early uh taking that level of objective control away from the north american squads so really that's what happened the teams just adapted and CLG and Cloud9 weren't able to come up with new strategies in order to counter what people were looking at. You know, I want to talk specifically about um, the match between Cloud9 and Fnatic, which was just like the most gruesome thing I've ever seen in <laughs> League of Legends. The European crowd was losing their minds because Fnatic was just forcing constant fights on, on Cloud9 and was just ripping them to shreds over and over and over again to the point where it had to be like 10 kills to 2 at probably five minutes into the game at one point it was really yeah. ugly and, and i was wondering like what, what what was i watching there like what was fanatic doing that they were able to just enforce their will upon fanatic like that or, i'm sorry uh, come on cloud nine really it was fanatic deciding to play because you know in the first week they went one and two uh not the not their finest hour but they really just said you know what we're gonna play to our strengths we're gonna we're gonna get early vision control and just fight as often as possible. Uh, you also saw this really crazy team fighting comp from them with uh, Reckless on AD Cannon, which is not something that is terribly in the meta at the moment, <laughs> uh, or was hasn't really been in the meta since season two. And even then, it was sort of a weird off pick. And it just they got this crazy team fighting comp going on, and it, it Cloud 9s fast pushing strategy i mean they got that jinx they got the zoning of oriana they got uh they got the or the darius in order to protect their hyper carry but they just really could never find that advantageous team fight uh balls teleport play was a little off uh incarnation was playing terribly uh febivin just sort of demolished him in lane <laughs> uh and they just never really they never got any sort of advantage that was going to be able to Right. create their opportune moments yeah and i think i think everything kind of like stabilized in this second week of the of the group stage you know everything there was this huge excitement around week one in the group stage and now we it just came crashing back down to earth <laughs> back yeah. down to earth in week two yeah the, it, we were all excited about all these upsets but now it's like oh no wait hold on the koreans are still good uh and they're probably gonna sweep this tournament well before we get to that, because because that was actually something we want to talk about was uh, you know the the possible inevitability uh, of a Korean victory, but I want to talk about that Cloud Nine versus AHQ uh, tiebreaker real quick because to me it felt like that was that was well it was literally Cloud Nine's last chance, but that also felt like you saw flashes of like Cloud Nine could still do this thing right it was it was a really mm -hmm. cruel ending. Uh, for Cloud9 and Cloud9 fans, because I feel like that game was not lopsided. Like, Cloud9 did no. show up, uh, except it, it just seemed like... 
They couldn't find an entry point into the game. Cloud9 were, were having to pull off these really fantastic fights to claw their way back into the game and narrow up the gold lead. But their entire strategy seemed to revolve around this sort of self-defeating uh, pattern where it took it takes time to set up ganks in, in League of Legends. And if you're if you're playing from behind and your your only way back in is these ambushes that take like 30 seconds or a minute to set up a piece. Uh, it, it, you know, if you're up against a really strong farming team, you're 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 kind of dying by a thousand cuts. But it was it was really frustrating because it felt like Cloud9 were just maybe one really great fight away fr mm -hmm. from turning that game around. But instead, they kept getting these you know you know one one for two picks, uh, things like that, and just and and could not could not close up the the advantage that AHQ had opened, despite that Cloud9 seemed to be playing pretty well. Absolutely. And a large part of that game, to be honest, was if it weren't for the play of on on his jinx, um, HQ's ridiculous AD carry, uh, th this game would have been a whole lot closer because the entire goal of the Cloud9 comp at a certain point was, hey, we need to kill this jinx. And they never found that pick and then forced a team fight right afterwards. Uh, so it, it, it became this... Just Cloud9, unfortunately, their mechanical play just didn't quite measure up to what they needed to, needed to be uh, on the world stage. Yeah, so then to kind of uh, to, to, to bounce off that to what we were talking about a little bit early, you, may, you kind of mentioned this, that the, the Koreans really showed up again at the, on the, in the second week of groups. And SKT was great in the first week of groups when everybody else from, from Asia was doing it a little bit more poorly. And then in week two, they kind of continued that. And that's kind of what we're left wondering is like, is this tournament kind of a foregone conclusion? Is SKT almost like destined to win this tournament? I'm not entirely convinced. I mean, I think SKT is almost certainly the favorite here. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think there's any any argument to be made there. I mean, they looked so strong. Uh, you know, they were doing weird stuff and still just crushing people. I mean, Faker played Olaf mid. Uh, <laughs> granted, that was against BKT, probably arguably the weakest team of the tournament. Mm -hmm. But uh, still, like it, it was just they were just looked so good uh, that it's 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 a little terrifying for everybody else. Uh, everybody else there. And they, you know, they beat EDG twice, which is the team that took him down at MSI. It, it, they seem to have shaken off any sort of nervousness or perhaps uh, tilt tilt that was surrounding their their play after that tournament. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that SKT is unbeatable, but it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot for them to be taken down. Well, I, th I think a lot of people were looking to EDG to 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 sort of be the the rival, and this is sort of the the finals matchup we've been we've been waiting for 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 months now. And I am curious, like, did you see stuff coming out of uh, like the the LPL teams, uh, the, the the Chinese teams, to to make you think that okay, they're they're addressing their weaknesses. Obviously, LGD IG, like that's that's all you know gone down in flames, but like <laughs> e EDG. Uh, do you, do you, did you see stuff from them that made you think, okay, like th they are going to be able to sort of answer the bell, uh, against an, uh, against an SK telecom? Because one thing that, uh, that, that James Chen brought up with us last week is that, uh, really the story of, of a lot of these, of these Chinese teams who sort of went on a shopping spree, uh, for Korean stars 
is that they were good enough to win LPL, but they aren't actually great teams. They're great groups of players, but their mm-hmm. internal communications mm-hmm. tend to be a little dodgy, and that's not going to work uh, in, in a high-level, high-stakes match. Uh, did you see anything from EDG that made you think, like, okay, well, th- that might be true of all the other Chinese teams, but EDG is going to be different? That, that, that's really funny that you bring that up, considering I was I, going to say that... Uh, EDG is going to have to beat SKT on the strength of their individual players. Uh, so no, <laughs> so not really. <laughs> uh, I, like Clear Love is playing out of his mind. Uh, Deft, of course, is one of the greatest team fight AD carries in the world. Uh, Pawn is Pawn. I know he's he's always going to be consistent, always going to play well on whatever you put him on. Um, but it. There are there have been some moments where I've been thinking, oh hey, like these guys have figured out their communication problems. Specifically, uh, there was the the game in week two against H2K when uh, Mako pulled out uh, Tom Kench, who has sort of been this dark horse support uh, in the in the tournament so far, and his he has been you know sucking up ED or Jeff, excuse me, Deft's Jinx uh, at perfect moments, which shows off this sort of really well executed uh communication play uh and you know sort of protecting his ad carry protecting all these all these uh well basically whoever he needs to protect and their team fights have actually looked extremely strong which is weird for a team that has had communication issues in the past so maybe if they can figure out a way to find those team fights against skt they may may be able to bring them down uh it, it's it's a tall order and we won't see that matchup until the finals uh if it does happen uh so we have a couple weeks to sort of see what edg can pull out turning our gaze to uh you know the, the teams across the strait as it were uh, it, it seemed like the uh the the, the taiwanese teams the the the, tr- the teams from uh, the lms really really brought it uh, for the mm-hmm. for the last two weeks, and I, I was particularly taken aback by how good uh, AHQ and uh, Yoe Flashwolves uh, looked. And I wanted to ask you first of all, you know, Cloud not, uh, not Cloud Nine, Fnatic ended up topping their group. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they they eked out a win over AHQ, but here's the thing, and and I, I tend to be a bit of a Fnatic uh, fanboy because uh, <laughs> you know if you're a journalist, you tend to like the teams that are good sources. Uh, so <laughs> of course had, I've, had a, I've had good experiences working for that with fanatic so by all means let, let's let them uh, win the championship but you um, know, let's at, let's let's be clear here. i have a fanatic flag on my wall so i am also <laughs> good job a bit of a fanboy but here's the thing then fanboy to fanboy uh their match against ahq scared the hell out of me uh, yes. because it was a win that made me think that the better team had lost uh, it was absolutely one of those close matches where it it could have gone any way at any moment. Uh, AHQ, I I was hundred percent expecting them to win that match uh, when I was watching it, but yeah, it, it all came down to that crazy final team fight inside of Fnatic's base, and which they won and then shoved into the, shoved in and destroyed the Nexus. Well, that was just you know that's that's just old school like season two League of Legends in some ways, which is which is why the, that 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 outcome left me so uneasy. Is that Fnatic? I, I felt like had been kind of losing ground for for a good twenty minutes in that game. Like their gold lead never never completely evaporated, uh, but in terms of momentum uh, and the fact their gold lead was was mostly I think carried by Huni, uh, like just they, they didn't seem to be matching up well. Against 
against AHQ. They they seem to be uh, making some really bad calls, and AHQ was was consistently uh, excellent. And uh, on uh, as you, as you said earlier, uh, was just you know sort of this decisive advantage. And then you have sort of again that old school League of Legends moment where a team is just trying to close this game out. They're just making that final push, uh, and you know you get that late game uh, you know wipeout basically and with the death timers being what they are that's 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 it but it it definitely left me concerned that fanatic i still feel throughout this world i still feel i have not quite seen the fanatic i was hoping i'd see at worlds uh when you say we you know we we look back at where fanatic was in the, in the summer absolutely and i think a large part of that was uh and Huni admitted to this, and they've all sort of admitted to this, that they were coming. They came into this tournament extremely overconfident. They were sure that they were going to sweep their group. They were, they were playing, you know, especially after their undefeated season. Uh, they were, yeah, they were extremely overconfident. And I think week one really showed what happens when a team gets overconfident. They went one and two. Mm-hmm. They didn't look great. Uh, and then this week, obviously, they went three and zero. So they they fixed some stuff, but they they're still looking a little sketchy. Uh, yeah, and, and I, but I think that the improvement from week to week really shows Yellowstar's leadership because he was able to talk to his team of team full of young players, rookies uh, at the beginning of the season. Well, and reckless, but uh, also very and re- and really calm them down. And I think that that really shows that that gives me hope for this fanatic team in, in the fact that Yellowstar is this amazing veteran. He's one of two players that's been in all five worlds. He's this guy that has all of this international experience. And if there's anyone that can really bring Europe to the forefront of what we what they need to do uh, in order to win this tournament, I think it's I honestly think it's the all star. Yeah. So speaking of like the, the, the European region kind of a, a, as a whole, you know, we talked a little bit about the Taiwanese teams. So we talked a little bit about the Chinese teams, Korea and North America individually. But I'm curious, like at what at this point in the tournament, what have we kind of learned about the region's together like this is kind of the point of worlds we, we bring all the regions together and then we mash them against each other so that we can see what what how would they measure up against each other like what happens when you make these two opposing styles clash you know and what did we actually learn about the regions throughout these first two weeks it's it's actually really interesting considering that we this for me has been one of the most diverse worlds so far in in terms of overall strategy uh you know, you see the, the, the North American teams with their early push strategies. You see the Chinese teams with their late-game teamfight prowess. You see SKT, who can do everything perfectly. Uh, and it, it, and you, know, you get these European teams that are high-risk, high-reward, really exciting to watch. And it's it's been really fun to, to, to see what's going on uh, in these different regions. And I, And what I think is most important about that is that no, not a single one of these strategies seems to be the dominant strategy. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not any one way to play right now. Uh, and anyone can beat anyone, which is, yeah, I, I think that's the most important thing to take from this world is that there is the, this era of one style defeat all is over. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, like the, the old school SKT perfectly controlled perfectly executed rotations 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 that strategy isn't isn't perfect anymore uh i mean unless you are executing it as sk telecom yeah you mentioned uh, the the sort of 
risky European style. And I feel like there, in the first couple of weeks of Worlds, there was no bigger like example of that than than uh, Origin and Xpeke, my my favorite player in the whole in the whole uh, the whole World Championship here. And uh, they've just been so much fun to watch. Like I just I don't even know if I have a point to talk about them. I just wanted to like bring that up because I would I would just be so sad if we got through this whole segment and didn't bring up how much fun it's been to watch Origin and Xpeke play this week. I mean, Xpeke is the classic example of the the world's buff. Uzi has this, uh, he's this guy that he shows up at these international tournaments as says, you know what, I'm going to play better than everybody else. I'm just going to, he plays up to the level of everybody else um, around him. And it, it's it's been a blast to watch him pull out, you know, th- this ridiculous Oriana plays. Uh, you know, everything that he's been doing has been just absolutely fascinating to watch. It's been a really, really good time to watch him play. So speaking of like the the changing of the eras and, and sort of this this generation of like League of Legends greats, uh, Yellow Star is still there, Xpeke is still there. Uh, Dyrus is done. Uh, this mm-hmm. is this is the end of the line for Dyrus. And and I, I I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about uh, sort of where 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 we contextualize uh, Dyrus's accomplishments because I think for a number of years now, um, it's really hard to separate Dyrus from TSM as a whole. Right? right and like there have been long stretches where Dyrus looks Dyrus has a lot of tough games and I think it feels like for a while like there are, there are entire stretches where Dyrus's role is to die for the sins of his team <laughs> uh, but but so so I am curious like you know what what do we make of of, of Dyrus's uh, performance over these last couple of years was it time for him I think it was unfortunately uh, I think he He's a product of a bygone era. He's a product of a a a an era where you know there there were these top lane hybrid carry tanks, which is weird to say in the era of the juggernauts mm-hmm. but uh he he is a a guy that was just solid throughout his entire career uh he was never a player that was the best in his role he was never a player that was gonna carry carry an entire team on his own. Uh, but he was always just Dyrus. He he was in the top lane. He might have died a bunch because you know, Lol Santorin doesn't gank top. Um, but he he was always this guy that you could count on. I think uh, Thorin brought up a good point where he he never really lost a game unless he was against you know these god tier players. Unless he was against a flame or a shy, he was never. He never lost the game for TSM, uh, which is an impressive feat considering how long he's played and how many how many matches, how many tournaments he's been involved with. Uh, So I think really that that's that's his legacy is this kid that could play in any meta. He could play any champion provided he had enough time to prepare it. Uh, And he would always just perform exactly what he needed to do for that squad. So Taylor, you know, before we let you go um, and, and wrap up this segment, um, I, I wonder. We're looking ahead towards the towards the round of eight uh, in the World Championship Series here, and I'm wondering, like, if you could pin it down for people who like don't traditionally watch League of Legends obsessively and who aren't going to watch every match uh, going forward. You know, is there one thing that you one match you can pin? down as like the one that you should watch if you just want to watch like a really good league of legends match and kind of prepare you to go forward in the rest of the tournament well if you want to watch a fun one uh i think fnatic versus edg is going to be a party 
there's two extremely aggressive squads. Uh, yeah. And they're just going to, Andy, as you put it f- quite often, they're just going to sit there and punch each other in the face <laughs> the entire game. Um, that's it, it may not be the highest quality League of Legends because I think they're just going to cause chaos and, and have a good time. Sure. Uh, but I think that's absolutely going to be the most fun. Uh, if you want to see the team that's going to win the tournament, watch SKT versus AHQ. Uh, sure. Because it's going to be really interesting to see how SKT deals with uh, the really the truly chaotic style of AHQ. Yeah, you know, I was so upset when I saw the brackets and I found out that they that they matched up EDG against Fnatic because, like, like you said, like I love that style of just going and punching the other team in the face and forcing them to play the game that you want to play. And the two teams that exemplified that were EDG and Fnatic. So those were the two teams that I was rooting for. And now we have sort of a sort of an Andrew Gruen team kill in the round of eight <laughs> here, and I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. All right, Taylor Cock, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you back to talk about more of the action at Worlds. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. So League of Legends is far from the only event that happened this weekend. We also had the SoCal Regionals Fighting Game Tournament, uh, which is one of the biggest events of the year in fighting games. And this was a really important tournament because it's pretty much the last stop on the road to the Capcom Cup in December. Uh, The Capcom Cup employs a system similar to StarCraft II, uh, in which players can earn points by placing well in competitions throughout the year. uh, And bigger tournaments are worth more prizes, so on and so forth. And at the end of the year, the players with the most points gain a seed uh, at the big tournament. So what do we take away from an event like this? I know a lot of these uh, smaller, more regional fighting game tournaments don't have as much of a prize pool uh, compared to the other big competitive games. Right, yeah. So I think the I think the prize pool for a Street Fighter at this event was like fifteen thousand dollars, which is like you know if you're one of these players, it means a lot to you. But it's cert- it's certainly not fifteen million dollars over in Dota Two at the international or something like that. Um, but to me, the the biggest takeaway is that this this is one of the last times we're going to get to see competitive Street Fighter Four as the main competition. You know, everything's going to switch over to Street Fighter Five when that comes out in early twenty sixteen. Uh, so we'll get the we'll get the Capcom Cup. We'll get to see Street Fighter Four again. No worries. But like. This is one of the last times. And, you know, I have I have every confidence that Street Fighter V is going to be a great game. Um, but right now, I think the current iteration of Street Fighter IV is really just, it's like a harmony of balance. And it'll be really sad to see it go right as it seems to be hitting its peak, which I think is actually kind of the same thing that happened to Street Fighter III as well. Uh, so, like, for instance, uh, at this particular tournament, the top eight finalists in this tournament cumulatively played a total of 12 different characters. You know, this isn't a game that's dominated by just a few characters who are considered, like, quote-unquote viable, which can kind of be the case in Super Smash Brothers sometimes. Uh, there's room for players to establish their own style with with conven- to play conventional characters in unconventional ways and to use their own marquee characters to great effect, even though they're not necessarily considered the best characters right now. Uh, and I think the best example of that was a guy we talked about last time that we, we got to talk about fighting games on this show, which was the Fall Classic, which was won by uh, a Zangief player named Snake Eyes. Uh, he was back again at this tournament, and, and he looked like really, really impressive. And it was, But what was so awesome was that the casters, they talked about how he'd recently taken a trip to Japan to go train. Um, and when he came back, his style was different. He was using the character somewhat differently. You know, he was using different movements and abilities to get out of situations that he might not have been able to get out of before. And it was really fascinating to watch his style evolve like that in such a short time. And I think it really speaks to how good Ultra Street Fighter Four is. You know, uh, Snake Eyes, by the way, looked incredible this weekend. Even though he didn't win, he took fifth. Uh, the ultimate winner was a Sagat 
player named Bonchan, uh, who also seemingly unlocked new potential in his main character. You know, Bonchan is not one of the main names that you'll hear in in uh, Street Fighter Four, but he's I, I understand he's actually a training partner of, of the famed Daigo Umahara. So he's like mm. he's no slouch at all. Like he know really knows his game. Um, and, and he's another character who he, he, he found something new in Sagat. It was really fun to watch. Like Sagat is known as this very slow, defensive, turtly character. Uh, but Bonchan like found new life in Sagat by reinventing him as this character that can alternate really quickly between defensive and offensive to really great effect. You know, you can see that when you watch him play. Unfortunately, you can't watch him play because Capcom put the put the videos behind a paywall where you have to pay five dollars to be able to watch it, which is really deeply unfortunate. Uh, but anyway, so you'll watch, you'll be watching this uh, Bone Chan play Sagat, and he'll be turtling in the corner of the map, and then suddenly he'll just explode out of it and turn into this rushdown style character and push the other player all the way across the map, uh, which is really awesome because you're not really supposed to be able to do that with Sagat. You know, it's it's really cool stuff to watch this seven year old game continue to evolve. So, uh, where does this leave things as we look forward to the ultimate uh, year end tournament in December? And I, I think more importantly, you know, is this year-end tournament similar to StarCraft in which, uh, you know, StarCraft's uh, BlizzCon has, has the big pri- uh, prize pool attached to it. Uh, but is is this the event people recognize as the most pre- prestigious tournament of the year? Right, yeah. I, I think EVO is probably going to remain the biggest tournament of the year from a prestige point of view, just simply because of tradition, I think. Part of that, I think, is because it's an it's an organic fighting game event that came like organically out of the community. It's not something corporate. Uh, and, and I think just as important, fighting game players, I, I suspect, have, have a respect for an open bracket format uh, rather than an invitational or like a points-based invitational like the Capcom Cup. Um, but in terms of Street Fighter, I think this is kind of the, the number two tournament. Uh, and I think you can make an argument that it's equally prestigious but generally speaking i think people would say it's the number two tournament um the capcom cup i think just looks a little bit too much like an esports event and that's kind of a vibe that the fighting game community just doesn't really like they like things to be organic and community driven Uh, but for us it's a ton of fun because we get to watch like all of the best players in the world get brought under one roof and see some really incredible matchups you know we'll be looking we'll be looking forward to that but you know right now it's time to take a look at esports tomorrow so this week we have the League of Legends quarterfinals uh, starting this Thursday with Flash Wolves versus Origin, which I think could be a really fascinating match between two teams that I don't think anybody expected to look as good as they do. Uh, then AHQ uh, face SK Telecom, while Saturday features a rematch between EDG and Fnatic. Beyond that, I don't know, Andrew. Uh, the schedule looks a little bit dire. Uh, a lot of seasons are, are winding down or already over. Uh, or there's a few things that are, that are building up to bigger events in, in the near future, uh, but, they're, but they're not quite there yet. Uh, what else should we have our eye on outside of League? Yeah, you know, there's kind of a lull in terms of events that are going on. And it's really the calm before the storm, because in a couple of weeks, we'll have world championships happening in StarCraft II, Heroes of the Storm, Hearthstone, and League of Legends all happening at the exact same time. (laughs) Prepare for Uh, the first two-hour esports today in our history. Right. Uh, so for now, like we're focused on smaller events, and we're, what's great is we're actually going to have time to do something that's become kind of an anachronism in the modern esports landscape, an MLG event. You know, we're going to get to go party like it's 2012, put on four different esports at the same time, and watch the same Dr Pepper commercial ten times in a row. Well, we'll do that at least until the stream crashes. <laughs> 
uh, you know, but all jokes aside, it's the the MLG World Championship, and it should be pretty good. Uh, the main events are going to be Dota 2, Smite, Call of Duty, and then also Super Smash Brothers Melee and Wii U. Uh, and they should be pretty good events. You know, the Dota 2 event in particular. Uh, has a lot of big names. You know, nobody's really doing anything before the fall major. Everybody wants that last chance to brush up. Uh, and those the teams that are going to be there are like, we're talking Evil Geniuses, CDEC, Team Secret, Virtus Pro, and other top-level teams as well, like Cloud9 and MVP. Uh, and it should be a good time, you know. At the very least, it gives us something to do while we wait for the big events coming in November. We'll be watching all of these events over the coming week, and we'll be back on October 20th to talk about all this and more. But that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far and you have a few spare minutes, you can really help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and telling your esports buddies about us. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.